So let's reflect on Genesis chapter 1 and uh, wonderfully read by Lucy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit, our teacher. Thank you, Lord, that you are teaching us through the Bible. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a new thing in us to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favourite films is Chariots of Fire, based on a true story. One of the main characters is the Scottish runner Eric Little, who at the 1924 Olympics in Paris won gold in the 400 metres. And in the course of the film, one thing he says and one thing he said in real life is that he said, God has made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. It's a wonderful thing that he realised that God had called him to be a preacher and a teacher, uh, also then in time a missionary. But he also knew that God had given this ability to run fast and hard and that he sensed the presence and the glory of God. He sensed he was living out something of what God had created him to be as he ran fast. A wonderful picture of the vitality of knowing who we are and why we're here. And those really are two extremely important questions and ones that each of us need to have the answer to. Who are you? Why are you here? I wonder if you have answers to those questions. Because they're the answers that fundamentally shape our lives. If we have the right answers to those questions, and I don't just mean intellectually, but in our hearts and our souls and our lives, then everything will fall into place. Knowing the answers to those questions brings such vitality and power and clarity and satisfaction to our lives and effectiveness to our lives if we know the answers to those questions. And really the whole Bible and Genesis chapter 1 begins in trying to help us to understand how we can have answers to those questions, who we are and why we're here. And so the Bible begins not with human beings, the Bible begins with God. Because if we're to understand the purpose of our lives, the identity of who we are, we, we can't start with ourselves. We must start with God. If, if we think that the whole world is an accident or we think that the world is all about us, if we think that we're a random collection of atoms and molecules that have just somehow fallen into place by lots of different uh, accidents and experiments, then as those who purport uh, those points of view will say, well, there is then no meaning to life. But we know there's a meaning to life. We know it in our hearts and our souls. We know it in reality that there is a reason to why we're here and that what we do has consequence. I think so many problems spiritually and mentally and societally come from the, uh, some sort of misunderstanding, some sort of presumption that life has no meaning. And so it's really encouraging and powerful and reassuring to read the Bible and particularly the story of our origin in Genesis chapter 1 to understand who we are, that our life begins with God. It's all about God. God who is a tireless worker, who is a wonderful creator, who is full of imagination, 
who as it were rolls the sleeves up and gets stuck in and creates over time this beautiful, intricate, colourful creation from absolutely nothing. And so in Genesis, in those first chapters, in the first verses, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said that there be light and there was light and God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night, there was evening, there was morning, the first day. That wonderful phrase, God saw the light was good. And as we see the story of creation unfolding, it's like God stepping back from a wonderful sculpture periodically and saying, seeing that it was good. And coming to the end of the sixth day, having created human beings, and it looks at the whole overarching creation, the whole cosmos, and he says that it is very good. He saw that it was very good. And so it paints this wonderful picture of God as the, the tireless creative worker who creates creation for the love of it. He doesn't have to, but he does it because he, he wants to express his, his wonder, his creativity. And then as we come towards the end of that chapter in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so there's this collaboration. God wants to share this creative work. You know, Genesis is uh, a story of origins, which, of which there were many in the ancient world. And most of them in the ancient world paint a very different picture. They, they maybe have a, a similar format, but they have a very different picture. And, and the other stories of, of creation narratives, like the Babylonian creation narrative, paints a picture of the, of the gods getting tired of the work and creating human beings to be like their slave labour because they've just got tired of the whole project. Whereas Genesis tells us the true story about one true God who creates creation, who's responsible for everything, and yet brings us to be, as human beings, co-creators, collaborators with him to shape and to organise and to govern and design and name and rule and flourish. And uh, he's called us to be, as, as Peter says in uh, his first letter, in chapter 1, he says that we are a royal priesthood, royal in that we are representatives of the king who is the creator. We are the ambassadors and we're also like a, we're a priesthood in that we also give glory back to God. All of the prayers and all of the goodness and all of the creativity of creation, we offer it back to God as an offering to him from whom it has all come. And so that's what a priest does. So we are royal priests as Peter says, we're like a like a mirror at an angle, a 45 degree, and we, as it were, are taking the image of God and reflecting it to creation. And we are taking the glory of creation and we are reflecting it back to God. We are a royal priesthood. And so this is 
who we are. This is our, our identity. This is our purpose. This is why we are here. And so it's so vital for us and powerful for us to understand that. And also it brings joy, joy and a smile to God the Father. It brings a, a smile to our faces. And it also brings a smile to other people's faces too. If we become what we're made to be, co-creators with God. Now in Genesis chapter 2, it's like the spotlight is taken from the big picture of the whole cosmos and it's focused in on a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And we, we take a close look at the responsibility they have to, to be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the whole earth. Uh, and placed in the Garden of Eden. The word Eden, the name Eden means the light. They're placed in the Garden of the Light. And why are they placed in the Garden of the Light? To work the land and to care for it. And so there's a really, really important thing Genesis is telling us, and that is work is good. Work is a good part of God's creation. If we didn't have work to do, we would be lost. And when I say work, God has not just given us work which is something that we are uh, we get paid to do that uh, obviously Adam and Eve weren't going to get paid to do what they were given to do to care for the beautiful delightful garden of Eden it's not about money it's about worship uh, work is worship and so um, it's our service it's our worship to God all those all those words have very very similar meanings and so when I'm saying work it's about everything that we do cleaning our teeth emptying the bins doing the garden um, feeding a small child um, teaching someone um, driving a lorry um, designing something doing accounts um, helping develop and build things all sorts of things uh, working in a factory to manufacture stuff uh, fixing stuff all of this is part of the good work that God has given us to do it, it's everything and so that is that's the reason why we're here is to, is to worship in this series fruitfulness on the front line yes we've spoken about bearing the fruit of the spirit in our character love joy and peace and all the fruit of the spirit we've talked about doing acts of generosity and mercy to other people showing compassion to people in time we'll also speak about justice and about sharing the good news of christ with people by our speech but it's an amazing that at the start of the bible in fact throughout the whole bible that there's this wonderful picture of what is really at the heart of worship and it is work genesis chapter one doesn't talk about adam and eve singing or adam and eve uh, telling other people obviously but um, it's, it's about work it's about the work that god has called them to do and so making good work doing good work is is the purpose as to why we're here and to do it for the glory of God. The famous composer Johann Sebastian Bach wrote over a thousand pieces of music. At the end of each piece of music he would sign his initials but he would also put another three initials, another three letters S, 
D-G, short for the Latin Sole Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Now that is the way to operate in our lives, that everything we do, it doesn't mean that we're going to be like a, a Johann Sebastian back. What we do is everything that we do, we do it for the glory of God. We do it for the audience of one. And so whether that's drawing something with felt tips or paint, uh, whether it's baking or fixing or building uh, or governing or teaching or driving, whatever it happens to be, it's about doing everything for the glory of God and doing it in the presence of God. Because knowing the fact that God, the creative spirit of God, who brought everything into being from darkness to light, from formlessness to form and structure, is the same spirit at work within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. Now, we know as well as the story unfolds in Genesis that not only are Adam and Eve placed for the purpose of work in the Garden of Eden, we know that there, then in chapter 3 there's a fall from grace and they decide to do things their own way without the inspiration and guidance of God and everything starts to unravel and everything started to just continue to unravel from that point and that's been the story of, of human beings ever since except of course uh, when we come to Jesus Christ and we'll come to him in a moment but for Adam and Eve Whenever uh, they do this, whenever they turn their backs on God, one of the things that happens is that God curses the ground that Adam is to look after. He doesn't curse it because he wants to spite Adam or because he hates Adam. He does it because he loves Adam and Eve. And so he does it so that in the work, in the life that Adam and Eve have, they will experience frustration. They will realise there must be more to life than this. And that drives them towards God. And so God curses the ground in order to bring Adam and Eve back to him in time. That they will come to their own conclusion and realise there must be more to life than this. If you ever want to understand how to expand on that, then read Ecclesiastes in the Bible. It's all about, well, what exactly is the meaning of life? And in that as well, yes, there's an there's a exhortation to work, but at one stage there's also an exhortation or a, an analysis that, you know, without God, work is fruitless. It is frustrating. And that is the reality of work without God. It, it seems just utterly pointless. But then we come to the life of Jesus. Jesus, who we know lived for about 33 years, that most of his adult life was spent as a, a worker. And that's what the, the description of the Bible is. It's a tekron, a, a worker, a labourer, sometimes translated carpenter. But basically what we were hearing is that what did Jesus do for the majority of his life? Well, yes, he learned. He learned from his parents. He learned from teachers. And then he worked. And I'm sure he worked hard and I'm sure he was diligent and I'm sure he had attention to detail and I'm sure he did it for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. 
He also did it, I'm sure, to put bread on a table for himself and for his for, for the wider family, his brothers and sisters and his mother. And so we understand that the whole of Jesus' life as a as a worker and then as a as a teacher and a prophet and as a saviour to us that Jesus did the work that he was called to do. So much so that as he hung on the cross through the greatest work of all, redeeming all mankind, in fact, redeeming all of creation, he was able to say, the one human being who's ever able to say this, it is finished. I have done everything God has called me to do. I have not left out one thing of the of piece of work that God has called me to do. Uh, wonderful in Mark chapter 3, verse chapter 7 verse 37 where someone hearing Jesus and seeing his works and seeing his miracles says he has done everything well. What a wonderful epitaph, what a wonderful description of someone's life. He has done everything well or she has done everything well. And so work has been redeemed through Jesus Christ. Everything has been redeemed through Jesus Christ. It gives us the opportunity in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to now do good work, to make good work. Yes, we will sometimes encounter the frustrations that have come through human disobedience. And so sometimes we know that there will be sickness. And we know sometimes there will be uh, a seeming lack of resources. And sometimes there will be uh, demanding, over-demanding bosses. And sometimes there will be co-workers that are really really hard to work alongside and sometimes the work will seem pointless but that is all they're all aspects of of the frustrated corrupted nature following the fall of work but Jesus Christ has redeemed work and so everything can now be for the glory of God presented back to God through the great high priest Jesus Christ as an offering of worship and our work is our worship and so we do it honestly we work really hard we are diligent we have attention to detail we seek to be on time we do everything to the utmost of our ability through our spiritual gifts through our physical abilities through the mind that God has given us we are we are asked by God to do the very best with everything that he has given us. We'll not be compared with other people. We'll, we'll not, it'll not be said to us, why weren't you more like that person? So we shouldn't look at our, at our person and say, why don't I have the, the abilities of that person? Because we are to do the very best with what we have been given, not with what other people have been given. That's the only way to live for the audience of one. For the glory of God. And so these verses from the message, which is paraphrase of the Bible from Romans 12. Paul says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for us is the best thing you can do for him. Let's live for an audience of one. And we do that, then we will certainly be fruitful on our front lines. And our main thought is not, do other people recognise how hard we work or that we're giving our all? 
because that will always lead to frustration. We offer it all in the presence of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, everything we do, we offer to God. Every little task that we carry out every day of our lives, we do it in an unrushed, unhurried way, prayerfully to the glory of God. I wonder, have you been, has been listening to this, I wonder if you have had this sense of, of lostness, a sense of, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know if I can clearly answer those questions, who I am and why am I here? Well, God wants you to be able to know the answers in your heart to those questions. And the only way to find them is to offer your life to Jesus Christ. To give all that you are, all that you have, all that you have been, all that you will be over to God. Ask him to deal with the past, all the missed opportunities, the things that you've done that you think, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. Just offer it all to God and he will, he'll take all that he did on the cross and give a fresh start. The old is gone, the new has come. And also will give us a new present, which will unfold into a new future. Perhaps for you, there's that sense of, yes, I, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but somehow my work, oh, it seems sometimes pointless, futile, so difficult, so difficult to be a witness in that situation. Again, offer it over to Jesus Christ that everything you do will be between you and him for his glory. Knowing the fact that other people will be impacted by that. And perhaps you're thinking, well, what I do is the world doesn't recognise the importance of what I do in my voluntary work or as a parent. Know that the most important work of all is work that is done for love. That could be unpaid work or paid work. The way to work is out of love. And when we, as we do that, we are giving glory to God. We're living for the audience of one. Or perhaps you're sensing, it is so difficult to be a witness in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. Or thinking, I find it really difficult to speak about my faith. Well, those opportunities will come when we focus on doing everything, working really hard, attention to detail with diligence and with joy because work is meant to be enjoyed everything in life is to be enjoyed and offered up joyfully to the lord even the difficult times we are to be content in those situations and to offer them up to the lord in worship god bless you